Hi, everyone. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> Wait, I need to do that again. Okay, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Bria, and thank you so much for taking this leap of faith with me. Um, honestly, just by listening to this podcast that I'm deciding to start right now. Um, the reason that I'm doing this is because I had the series of stories that I have been writing for the past year. And it's just when I feel extremely overwhelmed with emotions, whether it be happy or sad or disappointed or excited, that is when I do my best writing in general, whether it be for school um, or just, you know, kind of my own personal writing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I looked at these pages and pages of stories that I've written about experiences in my life, um, you know, my reaction to recent events and, you know, not even recent events that have been going on my whole life when it comes to race relations and hate against race and whatnot. Um, you know, I realized that I, you know, I liked it there written down, but it still didn't feel real. As I was reading through the sentences, it just felt like fluff and it felt unpersonal and it just, it didn't feel right. And I've, I've been told you know, many times that I should just talk about it and I should just, you know, speak, speak on it, but I don't really want to be a public speaker. So I thought the best thing to do would be to record it. And so what I'm going to do and what I plan to do with this podcast is record my stories that I've got written so far and see where that takes me. I think it's a little bit odd to, you know, for me, it would be odd to listen to myself talk for, you know, however many minutes on different subjects, but I think that that's just the best way to get started um, and to tell these stories. And, you know, if this is just, you know, 10 episodes of me speaking, then that is great. Um, or if it really takes off, that is also wonderful. But I am doing this, you know, for you and for myself so that these can be conversations that are had and so that you can get to know me a bit better. But I think in knowing me, you're also getting to know an African-American woman, which I think can do wonders for a lot of people. So I'm really excited to be here, and I thank you already for taking the time to listen, um, because this is a huge step, whether it's your first step or your millionth step, or you've been stepping your entire life because it was a life that you were born into, I think that this will be helpful, um, and I hope that it will be, and please let me know if you have any thoughts or if it's not helpful or if there's something you really like, it would be really helpful for me. Uh, so I guess with that, I'll go ahead and get started. So the first story is titled, Your Hands Make You Look Like a Gorilla. And this story, I have been sitting on it for a really, really long time. I think that every Black child or color, you know, person of color has a moment where they realize that they are not like the other. They are not one and the same. Um, and, and it's always horrible. I think typically it usually happens a little bit earlier on in a child's life. But for me, I was raised in a military family. And so with that comes moving a lot. And with moving a lot comes a really, really protective bubble um, that, that parents can form around you, which I am unbelievably thankful for. I think my parents did a near perfect job of, of you know, making sure that I felt that I lived in a world where I was not only equal, but, but special. 
And I think that that is something that I want to do for my children and, and that I hope was done for you. Um, and, you know, if not, you might you might still find a lot of parallels with the story. Maybe you just learned this a little bit earlier on. But unfortunately, I was about, you know, I was I was very I, I was a little bit older than I should have been, I think, when I recognized that I was not like the other and that, you know, obviously I could see and I saw that my skin color was different. But there was this one situation um, you know, that really kind of set it in stone for me. And there was a long time where I honestly couldn't even say it out loud without crying. Uh, you know, 15 years later, I still, it was still hard for me to talk about. Um, so going ahead and jumping in. So this first one was called your hands make you look like a gorilla. And this was probably the first time I had a run in with racism or ignorance. And I'm not sure why I'm choosing this story to start with, but I think that it will, it will kind of show a good introduction and I wouldn't want to start with anything but vulnerability with you all. So I remember being excited to spend the night at Sandy Wilson's house. She was captain of the cheerleading team and I was a teensy freshman on the junior varsity squad. So being invited to her home was truly monumental. It took days to convince my mom to let me go. I was one of those kids that could not sleep over at other people's houses <laughs> until I was much older. Um, but I was the only child at home and, and, you know, she continues to be so lovingly protective. And she obviously didn't like the idea of me sleeping over with an unfamiliar older teen who could drive. But, um, you know, she'd obviously done many other things as well. But what scared my mom was enticing for me. I knew Sandy Wilson could do what she wanted when she wanted. And for a 14 year old who had to be home after dark until she was 17, this was a really, really big deal. You know, my mom finally broke down and she let me go to the sleepover mainly because she wanted me to feel part of the cheerleading team that I had fought so hard to join. Um, and as a side note, I mean, I mean fight. I would stay up until midnight learning these UCA cheer dances that I now do when I'm day drinking with my friends. So I don't know if that's growth or what it is, but either way, still doing it. <laughs> So anyways, I got to the slumber party and y'all, I had made it to the promised land. I was at Sandy Wilson's home. Um, and in my head, I imagined her house to be like Regina George's and Mean Girls. Um, I expected her mom to be waiting outside of a stone mansion with mimosas and cookies in hand. But instead, my mom very cautiously dropped me off to a really normal middle-class home in Old Town Huntsville, Alabama, which honestly, I think made me feel a lot more comfortable in recognizing that, you know, as as glorious and as monumental as people may seem, you know, we are all just people and we were all in a very same situation. And so, you know, I, I kind of felt my whole body relaxed and understanding that, you know, she wasn't royalty. She wasn't famous. She was just another human. So I was excited. And I continued to watch her in admiration though, because I still, I still just held her on this really high pedestal. And the night was going along perfectly. I fit right in. A few of the other girls from the team were able to join and we watched music videos and ate popcorn and gossiped all night about who's doing what at a very small but very promiscuous Catholic high school. And so I'll never forget, I, you know, I reached over to grab another mouthful of popcorn. Obviously my mouth was already full of popcorn and <laughs> I was probably laughing or, or saying something ridiculous, but then Sandy abruptly said, and y'all, it was one of those moments where someone says something and the entire world, the entire Southeast, at least went silent, um, or at least it felt that way. And she said, the inside of your hands are white. Entire room went silent. As my ears slowly burned, like a flame was being held closer and closer to my gold, really small hoop earrings. I sheepishly looked up and asked her what she meant. I knew in that moment what was happening. And it's funny because it was the first time that something this extre or extreme enough for me to remember had happened. But to this day, when somebody says something out of line, I feel the exact same way as I did when I was 14 years old. And, you know, moments like this, I think 
anyone who is a person of color knows what I'm saying. And I don't honestly even know how to put it into words, but suddenly you know that there was a before this moment and an after this moment. And unfortunately you're going home with the after. But all I knew was that when someone said something racist, it was usually racist. So I recognized this feeling with dread and waited for the sting. And she said, your hands make you look like a gorilla. And it was as if for the first time, the girls in the room noticed the lighter coloring of the inside of my hands or the unique texture of my hair um, for that matter. But, you know, like I said, I'd always noticed. It wasn't that I didn't understand. It was just that I didn't understand that because of that, people might view or say things differently than they should. And so I knew what I looked like and who I was, but it really took moments like these for me to understand that I should only surround myself with people who see me as I am, color and all. Um, and that's something I'll be sure to explain to my children from a young age. And I don't mean that you should cut out people who don't fully, you know, or aren't fully up to date with where they should be. Because at the end of the day, if you're not going to do that for them, truly who will? But I think there's a difference between people that are striving to understand and people that are ignorant. And I think that it can honestly, it can build trauma. And I think for me that this built a little bit of trauma. I mean, there's, there's bits of trauma everywhere. And it's something that me and some of my other black friends will joke about and saying, you know, bits of trauma or like, you know, things that we've experienced are definitely traumatic now and what we're talking to our therapist about. Um, but we really do mean it. And, or at least I do. And this really small moment was unbelievably overwhelming. And I think what was the most overwhelming about the whole situation was that nobody stood up for me. And, you know, I, I can't even honestly remember who specifically was there. And I've of course changed names for this, this podcast, but um, I remember realizing that she said it, everybody else knowing it was wrong and absolutely nobody saying anything. Um, and I th honestly think that's what I've taken with me the most and something that I keep in mind for if anybody says anything out of line about anyone, I'm usually the first to say something, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, because I don't want anybody to have to go through those feelings. So, of course, I then blacked out <laughs> for a majority of what happened after Sandy Wilson came for my pigmentation and my kneecaps, what it felt like. Um, but I remember uncomfortable laughter, sweat on my palms, and burning in my ears. Everyone moved on to talk about the cheers we loved and the boys we hope to kiss someday soon. But I stayed in that moment for a long time. And I think this is also something that not even people of color, but when somebody says something to you that burns you so deep, it's almost like your body keeps going, right? Your body keeps doing what it should be doing, laughing when, you feel, when your brain says laugh, you know, um, you know, being quiet when your brain says be quiet, asking questions when you're really no longer listening because a part of you is so, so, so deeply burned. Um, and, you know, also, I will say I, I feel extremely, so my mom, the way my mom always describes it, I'm very sensitive, um, but I'm also very strong. And so, so it's, it's hard when moments like that make you feel so weak. And so, you know, the only thing I remember really is my mom picking me up the next morning. Uh, and, you know, she asked about all the fun and, you know, asked about what had been said throughout the night. I think she noticed that I was quiet for a girl who was like on her knees begging to go to the slumber party. Um, but I didn't want her to know she was right and that I shouldn't have gone to Sandy Wilson's house because she was too old and too harsh. And I think even to this day, I do not want my mom to know and she's right, but I'm a little bit, I've, I've gained some humility in being able to tell her. Um, but anyways, I was not there yet. So I put a smile on and said it was everything I hoped it would be and left it there. And, and she left it there too, because I think she knew that it wasn't. So I never went back to those specific slumber parties on purpose. And, you know, I made it through high school with only a few cringeworthy stories, which maybe I'll share soon. Um, and I moved on to Auburn University, which, which really changed my life for the better. Similar struggles, right? Similar situations, but stronger me. 
um, and more support, I would say, within my friends. There, there haven't been many situations since then with the people that I've surrounded myself with where if somebody says something that hurts me so bad I can't speak up, one of my loudmouth, incredible backbone friends <laughs> will say something before I can even inhale. Um, you know, and those are the people that are going to be in my wedding. Those are the people that are going to be with my children. Those are the people, you know, that are going to be in my life for the rest of my life. And, and I'm thankful for them, but you know, I never had to do that alone again, but it definitely did happen. And it still does. Um, as to Sandy Wilson, don't know much. She's, I think she dropped out of college. She might be back home. Um, you know, and I hope she finds joy and, and I hope that she's all right. But I also hope that somehow she learns to never speak to someone like this again. Um, and the biggest part is that I wish that who I am now would have been there that night for that young black girl who didn't understand that being black meant something negative for her in a lot of places, in a lot of rooms, because I would have taught this girl, this Sandy, I would have taught her that that's not how you speak to people. I would have taught her that that, that ignorance will translate to trauma for who she's speaking with and maybe even the girls around her. Because after that moment, I bet, you know, they don't ever want to be in that situation again. So they avoid it. So they avoid diverse situations. They avoid being in those kind of in those groups. And it's just this horrible cycle. And, and, you know, that's a lot of why I'm here, but like I said, you know, I don't tell the story um, because I'm here to talk about the inequities of the world or because I'm black. It just happens that the inequities of the world relate extremely close because I'm black and I'm not going to not talk about the things that I've experienced and other people have. Um, and so, you know, I tell this story because moments like this shape who we are. I wrote about this moment for the first time in extreme detail for my writing statement that I actually use to apply to law schools and graduate schools. And the law schools and the grad schools that I got into, I used this writing sample for. You know, my scores might have not been perfect, but you know, you better believe that I could write. Um, and now I'm actually in grad school, you know, because of that and because of that story. And for those reasons, I translated it into the work that I do, that I want to make sure that I'm in the room and that no one is left alone in situations like that. And so that's kind of what I do now in my professional life, which hopefully I'll be able to dig into soon. But, you know, had this not happened, I'm sure there are other stories I could have pulled from the depths of my embarrassments. You know, there's some that I have maybe even completely erased, but they're still maybe there a little bit. Um, but I think this one kind of always rings a bell in people's minds because if they weren't on the receiving end, they might have been, unfortunately, you know, on the, on the other end of this and on the side where they didn't speak up when they should have or where they said something they really should not have and never stood up about it. Um, and I'm here to tell you that it's not okay, but you can do better next time. And I hope that, you know, after this story and the rest that I, that I hope to tell and the rest that so many others before me and those will come after me will tell is that you look internally and see how the good, bad, and really ugly made you who you are and how can you make that to benefit somebody else in the future. And honestly, all I guess I should thank Sandy Wilson, but not today, but maybe soon. <laughs> not today, but I did learn a lot from that situation. Um, and I hope that you do too from hearing this. And, you know, this experience, it just taught me a lot. It taught me about racism, ignorance, and the ever evaporating line between the two. And if someone is choosing to be ignorant enough to not educate themselves on what is acceptable to say to a person of color, I think that should categorize as a level of inherent racism. And I think that's important to face. And I think that's important for, um, you know, if anyone is listening to this and, and they don't say anything because they feel more comfortable that way, that'll work for a minute, you know, do your learning, do what you need to do, read, you know, do, do it, honestly, whatever the 
heck you need to do, but you've got to catch up and then you've got to speak up um, because it's just not the time. I don't need silence. And I think I speak for everyone when I say that I do not need silence. Um, silence has, has been traumatic and it has been deafening and it has been so unbelievably painful. And so, you know, your silence is hurting somebody. I can't say who, it, I don't know if it's me, it could be me, um, but somebody is hurt by it. Um, specifically right now, it is not the time. And, you know, I, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> I, I am thankful for it and I wouldn't change a thing in my life. But something that I've realized is that being born a black woman comes with resilience, not by choice or want, but truly by birth. When I have my sons, I'm going to have to pray for their safety driving down the road in their cars, maybe in my car. When I have my daughters, I have to pray that they recognize and feel their beauty, although many people may tell them they are not, like I was told that I wasn't. And I'm starting this podcast because I'm really scared. And this is my only course of action where I can actually make a difference and push onward. I am, you know, I, I am a writer and I am a speaker and I like to work with people through relationships and you know, I'm also 5'1", and I don't necessarily think that I'll be president of the United States. And I, you know, I've, I've got my ways and, and, you know, James Baldwin, I think, is who I feel most personally related to when it comes to the situation, because I know during the civil rights era, he struggled with similar, similar forces. He, he wanted to be protesting. He wanted to be in these really difficult situations that so many of his brothers and sisters were, were going through for him and for me and for you, but he didn't you know, he felt that he made the most impact with a pen and a paper or with speaking to different groups. Um, and I think he did that well. And, and I'm trying my best. And, and this is my first course of action where I'm actually reaching my hand out to, to help you or to make you feel heard. Um, or, or, you know, maybe just even for myself so that it's some sort of kind of way for me to get this out. Um, and if that's what it is, I think that's beneficial as well. But this is my way. And I'm so happy to do it. And, you know, if, if you need this, you have this and your children have this and your brothers and sisters have this and your friends, your colleagues have this. And I just really pray that you enjoy. And I thank you so much for being here along with me in this journey. And um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and boogie now, but thanks for listening. <laughs>